0: Welcome to a podcast from Corvallis Church in Corvallis, Oregon. Corvallis Church is committed to engaging our community, serving our neighbors, and growing in faith and friendship. Let's sit back and enjoy this heartfelt message from Pastor Mike Miller. If you'd like more information, you can visit us at corvallischurch.com. Let's listen in. So we are in the Gospel of John. We are starting this really journey to get into the mindset of John. So, we're going to be in the book of John, then we're going to go through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then the book of Revelation. And this might take us to Easter. So, settle in. And once we go through the Gospel of John, we'll have other scripture journals for you for the, for the, um, the epistles of John, the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, so, hopefully, you get a little nice set going here. Um, if you've been with us for a while, you probably have one that says Matthew, because we did that once. And we got Romans that we've gone through. Uh, We've gone through Ephesians and I think Colossians, and so um, now we're going to be in John and just go through all of that. Uh, Today I want to get in a little bit of the mind of John um, before we get into John 1, and last week we talked about who John is and um, he's a, a gregarious guy. He and his brother were called the Sons of Thunder because they wanted to bring like this, this defense, a of, of physical defense to Jesus. And um, his heart was tempered uh, with grace. Uh, he calls himself the one who Jesus loved. And uh, if you think back, if, well, think about it. Uh, if you could call yourself your name or the one who Jesus loved, I'd much rather call myself the one who Jesus loved. Um, it's way more meaningful and helpful to people. Um, and we, we talked about last week how um, what John is inviting us to, and, and he's using words to try to express an experience and how it's just so inadequate, how words just can't can't get there. It's why we need things like music and art and poetry and movies and stories because there is something that we can convey that is way more than words can can do. Words aren't equipped to touch us in those ways. Um, and so it's appropriate that John would start John 1 with a poem, and that's what the first five verses, and some say the first 16 verses of John are, Uh, but clearly the first five verses are, it's a poem, and uh, it's uh, metaphorical words um, that really express something way deeper than you would see on the surface. So, let's pray, and we're going to start reading together John 1. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we read your word, as we come to it, God, I, I submit my heart to it. I submit my will to your word. And God, anything that, uh, that I struggle with in this process of this study that we all struggle with, God, that, that your word would have supreme authority over our fears and our doubts. And I pray today that you would speak to us in a way only you can. You can speak to our hearts, Without words, you could speak to our hearts with your spirit, with your beauty, with your grace, with the touch of a friend, with an encouraging word. We can, we can find hope in the beauty of a sunrise and the power of a leaf falling to the ground. Be with us today, oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that uh, John is inviting us to or, or declaring the thing that has to happen, the thing that he hopes happen, he uses the words new life or that all things become new. And then he uses different ways to express that. And one of the most common ways that we hear today is to being reborn, a new birth. And the title of today's sermon is A Different Kind of New. And, and what we have to really embrace is the fact that when John's talking about something new, he's not talking about something refurbished. He's not talking about a new um, a replacement of something. It's different than that. It means new as in completely different from the ground up and the metaphor that's used in the Bible over and over again to talk about this newness that comes when we come to Jesus and we have faith and trust in Him is death and a new life. It's not just your old life made new, it's the death of your old life and a new life. That's how profoundly transformative that this is. It's, it's something brand new. So keep that in mind when you hear these, these invitations to something new. And as we go into that, you'll see this more and more in John's purpose and as he, as he states. Because in this, uh, John is, is laying the groundwork here for what his status, stated purpose is. And he says in John 20, uh, verse 31, that, that we would believe. He's writing these things down so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ. So that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life and be saved. So John states his purpose, right? He's writing these down. Now John does this different than the other Gospels. The other Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels because they give the synopsis of Jesus' life on earth. John is a totally different book. 90% of what's in John is not in the other Gospels. There's certain things the book of John, the Gospel of John doesn't talk about. Um, But in this, uh, John is calling us to to believe a few things. Um, there's three things that John, John is known for. He's called the apostle of truth, the apostle of faith or belief, and the apostle of love. Those are the three recurring themes in John's writings over and over and over again. He uses the word, um, he uses the word truth 40 times he uses the word love 80 times, but he uses the word believe or faith 100 times. These are the most repeated themes in all of John's writings. And so that's why I say like John one, the word Jesus sheds light, Holy Spirit on love, God. It's all encapsulated and that's what, what John's hope is. And so you'll see these recurring themes of, of, of light of the word of god truth right and, and light shining shining the light exposes the darkness and brings truth out and this constant call to receive the love and what i love what john does here in this is is as the other ones are synoptic gospels this is a heavenly gospel this is a this is a a heavenly view where where john doesn't talk about the birth of jesus He doesn't, there's no parables. Uh, He doesn't talk about his journey. He doesn't talk about all these things on earth that the other gospels talk about. It's this constant reminder and invitation to see Jesus for who he really is. Because only if we see Jesus for who he is will we see that he is the one our hearts are crying out for. If we lose who Jesus really is, our heart still, our soul still remains empty because we don't don't feel and know that he is the answer that we've been looking for. And so he's calling out who Jesus really is. So you could see his strategy here. John is saying my plan, my hope, my purpose is for you to receive Jesus as Lord. And how am I gonna do that? I'm gonna reveal who Jesus really is and trust that the Holy Spirit in you is going to call out to the Savior that you see through these writings, through this book. That's his his hope, right? So don't forget his purpose in this. This is, uh, John's also called the evangelist, the apostle evangelist, because this is a very evangelical book. This is a book that lays out the the case for Jesus Christ being the Messiah, not only theologically sound, but practically desirable to the true longing of our heart. Because if we see Jesus for who he really is, we'll see us for who we really are and we were designed to need him. So we can't forget that. So Jesus, John calls us to believe a few things. One, that Jesus' sacrifice would result in our unity with God and with one another. We'll read that in John 17 in a little bit, but he's he's revealing that to us. Um, And this is really important, that the eternal God has become human. The eternal God has become human in Jesus Christ. This is the enfleshment, the incarnation. This is where this is where Christ, the Christian theological position departs from all other belief systems. That Jesus has come in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. Matthew one says, call him Emmanuel, God with us. And this is the linchpin for everything. And John makes that very clear that God has become human for the purpose to save sinners from hell, to restore us back to unity in the presence of God. John 1:14 he says, uh, "The word became flesh." Now the word we're going to get into this in a bit, but I wanted to lay this groundwork before we start reading. So the word um, is a title given to Jesus. Um, other titles given to him. I mentioned Emmanuel, the son of the Most High God. Um, he has come into creation in human form, and when, when the Bible talks about the word, it's this, the, in, in if we're going to read this in John 1.1, 1, 1, but it says, in the beginning was the word. The word, that word is logos. Right? That logos, depending on what, what Greek angle you're taking, but... Um, that's a clear allusion to, and the rest of John testifies this, to the Genesis 1-1 account of creation. That's Genesis 1-1 starts with what? In the beginning, right? And so he's making this clear allusion to, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And that Word is Jesus himself. So you could, there, there's, a, there's a few different angles of interpretation of this, um, some of them say the word is the wisdom of God, wisdom being the expressed knowledge or expressed will. And so when God um, spoke, you go through the days of creation, how did God create each day? He spoke it, right? So his will was expressed. The wisdom of God was expressed. So there's some that say that that is what this is saying. Um, but I think if you, look, if you look at what this is really saying, and there's a, I want you to write something down for further study, and you can Google it. It's the word targum. I'm not going to go into it here because it's a rabbit trail that is so fascinating that I will spend days, months preaching it, and it doesn't have anything to do with the purpose of John so <laughs> but it's so fascinating. The, so one thing to know is that the uh, the common language of Jesus' day was Aramaic. The commerce language was Greek, and so Aramaic is closer to Hebrew, and so there's this translation of New Testament documents, and the Gospel of John's one of them, of the Gospel in Aramaic. And the connection between John 1:1 and Genesis 1 is really brought to tons of life in the Targum. So Google that. There's some videos out there that explain it. Um, but I w- that would be a really fascinating study for you, and it would make some things pop. Um, we're not going to do that today because, like I said, that wasn't the purpose of the book of John, and I really want to stay with the purpose of the text. But targum is the word. T a r t a r g u m. Targum. Targum. Okay. So I mentioned earlier that... Uh, the foundation of our faith is that Jesus has come, and He is God in human form. The Gospel of John um, is way different than the other texts. Um, there's certain things that John doesn't talk about. I mentioned this before, but it's important to realize John. there's nothing in John about the birth, life, baptism, temptation, transfiguration, the travels, the ascension into heaven. All the things you think of the life of Jesus, those aren't in the book of John. So John clearly, and John was the last gospel written, so clearly he had another agenda in mind than to prove the historicity of Jesus. Um, What I love about John and and its purpose is, is he's speaking and he's calling out of us our true self. He's speaking to our true self. Our true self doesn't believe in Jesus because there's historical documents that says that he's alive. And that the history of the Bible is accurate and and that the tomb is still empty. And and all the arguments, like I don't believe in Jesus because of that. I don't believe in Jesus because I'm afraid of hell and I want to be in heaven. There's something deeper here about my true self and who we true, truly are. And the thing that I've been wrestling with is the idea of your soul. And that we, we kinda, we look at the idea of, if you, if you think about the soul, like what is the soul? Sometimes we say soul is your spirit, right? And so your, your flesh can be your flesh and your soul can be your soul and they're two different things and sometimes they're at war. But I think soul encompasses, and and in a word study it does in Hebrew tradition, it encompasses something completely different than just versus your flesh. You know, it's more than what Paul is saying when he says, uh, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do, right? It's, It's more than that. The soul represents the entirety of your feelings, your body, and your mind like the entirety of who you are is your soul. So my soul cries out to thee doesn't mean like my my spirit is calling to you. It means everything that I am is unified in agreement that I need you, Jesus. And, and that makes sense to me, that that my soul being the collection of or the collective of my my feelings and my body and my brain, my mind, my flesh, and my heart. That's the entirety of who I am. And so when there's a reference back to the image of God, like we were made in the image of God, John 1.1 1, 1 is where the most complete and beautiful story of the idea of the Trinity is revealed. You know, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but the idea of God being three persons is clearly in the Bible. And that's a good study here. It's like John 1 really lays the groundwork for the the three-part nature of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we are made in His image. We have that in us, a mind, a body, and a heart. And, and, And I say heart, because it's, I I think it's the feelings. You know, I've been talking with some friends about this is, you know, follow your feelings is the worst advice that you could ever give anybody. Your feelings are dangerously passionate and unhinged and completely stupid, right? Feelings that haven't gone through the thought process of something deeper destroy. If I just went with what I feel all the time, where's my mind that says, okay, wait, does the consequences of what I feel accomplish what my soul wants? My mind? But what about my body? What about the physical self? Like, if you ask someone who works out regularly, don't ask me, but other people, it's a spiritual experience for them. It's a soul experience. Caring for yourself is a spiritual act. It's why we feel, what's why our, our spirit feel grieved when we neglect ourselves. Why do we feel guilt and shame when all we eat is junk food? Why? It's, we can't pretend it's disconnected, right? And our soul is the unity of all of that. So we can't just follow our body, we can't just follow our mind, that's Gnosticism, saying, well, if I can't figure it out logically, it can't be true. Well, explain to me why your favorite song is your favorite song. Go ahead. You can't do that. Explain to me why you love your spouse. If you think you can try to do that, let me give you some marriage advice, don't. There are things that your mind can't put into a stream of logic that are absolutely truthful and factual that you can't express. So we are way more complicated than we would think. And I think that's the soul. And what John is doing in this text, he's calling out to our soul. He's saying there's something in you that you know is true that you can't explain, you can't feel, you can't um, touch that is bigger than you. And if you think about it, if you, if you ask someone who's been part of anything, part of a team that won something, or, or part of a ministry, anyone who's gone on a mission or joined, served in a church, and one of the things that I, I would say about my, my experience in going into ministry and realizing that there are millions of people all over the world meeting in churches right now declaring that Jesus is the Son of the living God, that He is their Savior, and we are unified in that all across the world, and this has been happening once a week, for thousands of years. That's exciting. And what I used to say is, and I probably still do, is it's exciting for me to be a part of something bigger than myself. As if the pinnacle of greatness before this was something inside myself, right? That's as as big as I could get before this was, I could only be part of something inside myself, right? And that's, that is true for you too, that's not just unique to me. You've been part of things where you're just excited to be part of a team that's bigger than you. Or if you've given your life to Jesus and you're serving him with your life and sacrificing and you view everything that you have as, as gods and you're just the steward of it to use for his purposes, you are living as part of something that's bigger than yourself. And your soul knows that this is right, that this is good, that this is true. your true self. So Paul is calling out Mm. that part of who we are. Paul, John, is calling out that part of who we are. Why? To convince us in the true person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the one, the only one, that can satisfy the longing of your soul. And the more we try to have the lo- those things that are designed to satisfy the longings of our flesh and of our mind and of our feelings, if we keep turning the, to them to fulfill the thing that our soul longs for, it leads to our destruction. Your flesh, my flesh, longs for, this is going to sound weird, the combination of a Big Mac and a filet of fish I know. When I drive by McDonald's, if I'm slightly hungry, I'm like, I want a Big Mac and a filet fish I stop and get one about maybe 5% of the time. And I drive by McDonald's twice a day. I could be full, I could have already had a meal. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't want a hamburger. A Big Mac is nowhere near what a hamburger is in my head. It's its unique thing. But let's just say every time I wanted that combination, oh, and a Diet Coke, ironically, right? And fries. And go large. Or no, McDonald's is like super size, right? But if I were to satisfy that longing of my, like, my soul soul would be crushed. One, I have gluten and dairy issues, my gut would be crushed, right? I don't do that. I don't do that. What if you decided to make big, bold decisions based on how you're feeling today? Has anyone ever had a boss? You ever had a boss who, who you generally have thought at times that they're a complete idiot, right? I'll tell you a little joke. I had a, a friend of mine who I worked for, so he and I worked for each other and I worked for him, he worked for me, but, but we were in this one company. And I played a joke on him where he hired me to to run part of his company, and I came in, and, and it was like the third month in, and I found this gag book at the bookstore, and I left it right on my desk because we would always meet in my office. And so he comes in, and we're sitting there, and we sit down, and he looks at the book, and he looks at it, and it's sitting there, and it, he turns it around, and he looks at me. And the book title, in it's yellow and big white letters, it says... How to Work for a Complete Idiot. (laughs) It was, he and I were friends, so it's the type of joke you play on your buddy, right? And I told him, and he goes, what's that? And I said, oh, I bought that for the whole staff. (laughs) It's It's empty pages in the middle, it's a gag book, but it is funny. What if you were to make bold, sweeping decisions based on the feelings that your idiot boss gives you? I'm not saying your boss really is an idiot, but I'm saying in those moments when you feel, you probably use words stronger than idiot, right? What if you were to make a sweeping decision about your life based only on your feelings? You, yeah, come come mortgage time or rent time, you'd be like, that was a bad decision. I didn't think that through. So. If we keep turning to those things that satisfy one of those without looking for the thing that satisfies our soul, we will always be empty and it goes bad. It goes poorly for us. And John keeps inviting us to this. In John John 20, 31, as I mentioned before, he said that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. There's two words for life that is used in Scripture. One is bios, and one is zoe. Bios is the physical life. This isn't talking about that. This is zoe. This is the fulfillment of your soul life. right? So there's something in in us where that needs to be fulfilled. Our soul needs to be fulfilled. It cannot be found on earth. Let's look at a quote by C.S. Lewis. Um, It says... If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And he goes on with this argument, if you think about it, this is a scientific method. Everything you desire, there is something to satisfy it. If you are thirsty, something to drink exists. If you're hungry, food, something to satisfy hunger exists. If you're lonely, relationships with people exist. Go go through all the things that you've ever desired. There is something that can satisfy that desire in the context of that desire. If your soul is aching for something that's just not right, you're longing for that unity of your mind and your body and your feelings and your heart, and you haven't found it or you can't find it. That's your soul crying out. And so John is saying, my, my desire is that your soul that's crying out, your sinful soul. Um, and the idea of sin is when we put one of those desires above our soul, right? We, we lose, we miss the mark, and we, we put satisfying those desires above. The soul that that Jesus is the answer and He is the only answer for that. And the grace of God, that's how He's created us. Because you and I both know there is more to this life than the world has to offer. We know that. That's why pursuing satisfaction in anything in this world is empty. And John gives us this gift of this book. And until we see Jesus for who he really is, we can't see ourselves for who we really are. So let's, with that foundation, let's start with John 1 In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John reveals throughout the rest of his writings what he intends to mean by saying the Word of God, the Logos. And it's very clear, you see John 1.14, but also in Revelation, that he meant that Jesus is the expression, the manifestation of God on earth. And he uses that word logos. And then he he declares that that in the beginning, Jesus was with God at creation. And you could look at that literally, metaphorically, I think for our implications today, uh, theologically to fit into the Christian faith, like a literal translation of that makes the most sense. But a metaphorical translation accomplishes a similar purpose in that if Jesus was with God, the holy intent and expressed desire of God was with God in the beginning of creation, you can see that that this expression of Jesus now as God in the flesh is the manifestation of God's purpose and his intent. So as God speaks things into the creation. But where this drives more towards a literal, like Jesus is an entity that is Also part of the Godhead, but also with God. And present with God is in the idea of with, uh, that word with. It means facing, a separate entity that's facing. And that that always implies the face turned towards someone, implies always in Hebrew tradition, is a, a unity, an intimacy, a connection, a bond. This idea that we're together, I'm with you, I'm with you. I'm with you so this this connection of being face to face with God this intimate togetherness so the word was with God and the word was God and now the best interpretation of this that I, I, I believe is this idea of the the word or Jesus and the God were one in purpose were one and it, it how close that goes to you doesn't really impact what you do today um, but the word was God. Uh, Don't forget that the purpose here of of John is to express that Jesus is God in the flesh, right? And, And where this gets confusing sometimes is when we say God, we always think Father God, right? So if we can separate that out and say, God is Father, Son, Spirit, right? And each one of those is expressed in scripture as a unique entity that come together as one. Now, the greatest theologians will say, the deeper you go into trying to understand the Trinity, the more slippery it gets. So let's not pretend this is a simple thing. But for me, what gives me peace is to go, well, wait a minute, I am made up of three parts, mind, body, and feelings. And the entirety of my three parts is my soul. That's who I am. But sometimes I mix up my feelings and my soul. Oops, no, 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 I gotta get back to, like my mind and my body are part of my soul, like that's who I really am. And if we can see Jesus for who he really is and see God for who, who let's say they really are, uh, it helps us see who we really are. And what, what John is doing is, is as he reveals that, he's counting on us seeing, that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. And there is no way to the Father but through Him. That's what He's counting on our soul seeing and our soul finding. Verse 3 where it says, He is life. He's the, funda- the fundamental reality where all life exists. Mm. All life all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The redemptive nature of Jesus Christ is built into everything God created. God didn't send Jesus as a reaction to our sin, right? We ought not think so highly of ourselves, (laughs) right? Like when God spoke this into creation, redeeming us and restoring us is part of his plan. God redeems everything. He rest- it's his business. It's what he does. If you're going through a difficult time right now and there's a season where you're har- having a hard time finding hope, you can lean on the fact that he, he is with us always. His promises come true always. He redeems things. And this is where John's call to us to constantly believe in that is where we find our hope and our salvation is this belief. So John's desire is very clear in the book of John. And as we study this, I hope that you open your soul up to receiving this truth, that you open your soul up and it starts with letting your soul wrestle with the truth that Jesus is God in the flesh. And it's important that you start there. And it's important that John starts there. And that is something that your mind, your body, and your feelings can't capture all alone. But I bet you if you ask your soul, it resonates as true. I wrote in my notes, this is certain things, like the soul is the complete awakening of the mind, body, and the heart. So we've read that first part of John where he establishes this foundation of God and Jesus and and the centrality of Jesus in our relationship with God, our path to the Father. Now what I wanna do because we've, we've got the intent of John. Now in John 17, you can turn there now, but we're gonna read what Jesus' intent was. John's intent is that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He is God in the flesh, and that He is the Christ. He is our Savior. He's the one our souls long for. So now, I just wanna read I'm going to read this whole chapter and then say a brief thing and then we're going to close. This is a time where Jesus, this is the longest prayer of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus, ha- Jesus and God are there. This, this was recorded by John, so clearly Jesus intended for someone to hear this and for it to be journaled and, and carried forward to us. But let's read this together. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, and give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. We should pay attention here. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, John is getting his intent from this prayer for Jesus. Jesus is praying, God, let this sacrifice accomplish its purpose. Let it redeem all of them. Verse four, I glorified you on earth, Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. That word "glorify" means to bring to the fulfillment of its purpose. Right? He's not asking for credit or anything. Here. He's like, bring me to the fulfillment of our purpose, and and we could say that's when we are most glorified. Right? Is when we are serving in the way that we are equipped and empowered to serve. It's when we are the most. That's the glorification of us in Jesus. So he said, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see this calling back to in the beginning was the word. Jesus was there. Verse uh, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, he's he's focusing his prayer here, right, He's, he's praying for those who have believed, for those who have, who have identified that their soul's crying out for him and they're believing, right, he says, I'm not, at this point, I'm not praying, this isn't for the world, this is for the elect. I'm praying for them I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified with them I am no longer in the world but they are in the world and I am coming to you Holy Father keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one while I was with them I kept them in your name which you have given me I have guarded them Not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that you keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. He's foreshadowing the fact that he's leaving. And he's he's calling on God, which we learn later. The God he's calling on is the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one who will come to protect them, to guard them. Not from the struggles of the world, from the evil one. because as we are in this world and we overcome struggles of this world, depending on the Holy Spirit, we bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. We accomplish the purpose of Jesus. And that's what he's saying here is I'm leaving there to continue the mission. I'm leaving my people here, the ones that you gave me. Right, the idea of giving us to Jesus is that that the expression, the logos of God, the expression, the mission, the purpose of Jesus is continued through us, right? The salvation of the world depends on God's church doing God's will. That's, That's plan A of the Bible, and he doesn't give us a plan B, right? This is it. Sanctify them in your truth, in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I set myself apart. I, concentrate, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That would be you and I. That would be through the word of the apostles, through the churches that are started, through the scripture that is preserved, through the the mission of God's church. He's praying for you and I. That they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what is he saying is the condition for the world to believe that Jesus is the logos of God, that Jesus is the satisfier of our soul, that we will be unified in him together, right? As we are unified in him together, we testify to who Jesus is, and we continue in that. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Yeah, I said that part. Um, that they may be one, just as you and the Father are me and I knew you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is boldly taking his place as our example, as our source, as our destination, as our spirit, as our unifying. This is why the centrality of Jesus can't ever be shaken. You know, we, we had a youth leader meeting at my house the other day, and I asked a question, and someone said, Jesus. I'm like, ah. I used to have this thing in my youth group that if someone gave an overly churchy answer, I made him go sit in the church chair, right, until the senior pastor told me I couldn't do that because that's the equivalence of a dunce cap. Uh, so I stopped doing that, but I always talk about it. I guess it's still bad. But one of them said, "But didn't you tell us the answer is always Jesus?" Like, yes. I stand corrected. Because if you give it enough thought, the answer is always Jesus, whatever you're struggling with. And and you can oversimplify it, if you're willing to do the work to find it. Because Jesus is always the answer. He's the way, truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And the the implication in that is the desire of your soul is to be unified with the Father. The desire of your heart is to be unified. What is heaven? What made the Garden of Eden the first heaven? We were one with God in, in, in a garden that was perfectly under his kingdom. And there was no sin. And God was with us. What makes when we die before Jesus comes, what makes that so awesome? We're going to be in the presence of God. What makes a new heaven and a new earth when Jesus comes so awesome? We'll be in the presence of God. And that's all because of God that came in the flesh through Jesus Christ. So my plea to you today is will you open your soul up to the truth that words can't express. That you can't satisfy your body, your mind, or your feelings. But if you let your soul search, you're searching for Jesus. And I, I share a lot of Paul's passion because I feel a purpose of my life is to do something similar, is like express this. But like I said last week, words seem so inadequate and stories help, right? Because there's nuances in stories. Music helps, all of it helps. So let's pray and we'll have the band come back up. And as we enter into this response time, I wanna ask you to open your heart up. As we worship God, we will worship in spirit and in truth, right? What that means is that as, as we worship, let your heart sing out to God, let your feelings feel the joy of being known by the Lord, but also bring your struggles. Christianity isn't about pretending like things aren't bad. It's facing the reality that things are bad, that God is bigger, and there's hope because he redeems things, and it's always through Jesus Christ. So we direct our hearts and our minds to Jesus when we worship. That's why we sing of his glory. We sing of his hope. We cling on to his salvation. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we give our hearts to you in worship today, that you would be blessed. That you would be blessed. That you would glorify us in the context that you would would drive us to fulfill the purpose that we are created for. And that's worshiping you. Declaring with our soul that you are our everything. God, 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 Jesus, if you will, uh, I thank you. I thank you for coming into our world. I thank you for bearing the burden of our sin and shame. I thank you for being an example for us to have victory and live in victory. I thank you for your prayers that we would be one in you. And I thank you that you did the work to make that happen. And Jesus, I just cling to you today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be among us and bring us comfort and help us see hope, help us see and believe that there is something bigger going on here than what our body and our mind would cry out for, Spirit. And Father God, I pray and thank you for your direction, for your plan, for your oversight, for your foundation, for your peace that when you created all, you created us with a plan to redeem us and restore us, that we would not temporarily, but eternally be secure in our relationship with you. And we'd be there willfully, knowing the alternative of being separated from you is hell. And we, our hearts desire to be one with you, God. Let our souls cry out today, Heavenly Father, God, you have a plan, and we are part of it. Help us to stake our claim that we are your children, to do your purpose. Father, I pray that you would use us in the, the, the heart of the Gospel of John, that you would use us to reach those who don't know you, that we would be an example by the way we, we love and give and serve. and. And the way we treat one another and the way we submit to you and your ways, God, that our, our, our pursuit of you, God, even the way we fail, repent, and humbly are restored would be an example to, to the world. I echo and just uh, am thankful for the prayer covering of Jesus in John 17. That his desire is for us to be one in you, just as you and he are in one and we, you and he are one and we are in you together. That makes sense to my soul, God. My mind trips up, my feelings get conflicted, but my soul cries out, my soul knows. Let me have that as my daily true identity who I am. I pray that for all of us. And it's in Jesus' name that we come and have access to your throne, that we stand before you righteous and pure, with full authority through Jesus Christ, that he stands with us sanctified. And you, even right now, in the midst of our struggles, you are with us, you are with us, you are with us. I believe, help my unbelief. God, I pray that our words would not just be empty words that we throw up to a distant idea, but as we worship and we pray that your true presence of your true self, the whole weight of that would be felt today. That you're a real God that is real and present. I pray that this kind of complicated thing about your th- triune nature would not not distract us from the simplicity that you love us and are with us and you are for us and that you are here among us let us worship you truly in Jesus name amen Thank you for listening to this message. If you'd like more information about Corvallis Church, visit corvallischurch.com and click on Contact Us. We'd love to hear from you and help you explore your own personal story as it relates to today's message. Thanks for listening.